welcome back to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode number 20. The big 2-0. We have made it to 20 episodes, and we have a great episode dialed up for you guys. The final four was this past weekend. It was electric. The Masters are starting tomorrow. Major League Baseball is starting tomorrow. We'll talk about why it seems to be that the best players in the world get injured all the time. And we'll hit you with a little would you rather at the end. So we appreciate you guys tuning into the episode. Stick around to the end for the would you rather and let's just jump straight into the action. Welcome back, everybody. Phenomenal fan podcast. 20th episode. It's special. It holds a lot of weight. But hopefully we get another 20,000 episodes. Because, you know, we love doing this, man. We love this podcast. It's going to be just me today for the Phenomenal Fan. And we have a lot to cover. As mentioned early on, a lot of stuff happened this past weekend. A lot of stuff happening this upcoming weekend. And we finally made it through that lull in the sporting calendar that everybody looks forward to. They don't look forward to it. Everybody sees it on the calendar and is dreading it, right? That end of March madness, uh, after football, like football, that, that lull between football and college basketball, like March madness is always tough, but it's not the end of the world because... I don't know. I feel like the Super Bowl, there's such a huge buildup to it. You finally get to it, and then it takes people like a week or two to to decompress from that. And then once you get done with that, you have to wait a little bit to March Madness, but not really because then there's the conference tournaments. You know, I don't know. There's usually like a week between, at least for me, there's a week between the Super Bowl decompress and when the conference tournaments for college basketball start where it's a week span of like, man, this is so boring there's nothing going on and the same can be said for the past week we just experienced where you had that break between the like second round of March Madness and baseball was supposed to be starting it's usually at least again at least for me as a baseball person it's usually like after that first really exciting weekend of college basketball or maybe even that second exciting weekend of, of March Madness where um, it's like before Major League Baseball starts. It's just kind of like Monday to Friday where it's like, man, this is brutal. We had that last week and maybe a little bit more extended uh, because Major League Baseball opening day has gotten pushed back. But here we are final four slash national championship is over over and it was a crazy 
I guess you could say 72 hours to two days worth of games with Saturday's Final Four matchup between there was uh, Duke and North Carolina, and the other game was Kansas and Villanova. Kansas-Villanova was pretty, probably the most boring game of the weekend. Um, just not a ton of action. Kansas takes down Villanova. They beat them by like 20 points, cover the spread easily. And I think most people expected that, but you never know, right? A two seed could have easily gotten in as well. Villanova just from the, from a very basic perspective of how I was kind of watching the game without the volume really on, just didn't look, it didn't look like Villanova showed up to play, which is really unfortunate because it sucks in a tournament like that. When you have one game to decide your fate and you just don't show up to play and you, or you don't have a good shooting night, you're going to lose, and um, that's what happened. That's what unfolded, unfortunately, for Villanova. Kansas handled business pretty easily. Um, and then the later game was more exciting with Duke versus UNC. Coach K uh, for for Duke, potentially his final game ever coaching, ended up being his final game ever coaching as eight-seed North Carolina took down two-seed Duke. I don't want to say that that was unexpected. In fact, I certainly don't think it was. I think a lot of people were anticipating the possibility of UNC winning that game. And they did win the game. They beat Duke for the second straight time. And the last time they beat him was at Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke for Coach K's final home game. So it was very, uh, I don't know, it was just like, it was not surprising at all. They were underdogs on, on the money line and on the spread. But I don't think anybody was shocked that they won. I think maybe the more casual fans, people who weren't watching or didn't know very much about UNC, didn't realize that they've been playing their best basketball in the last month. They played their best basketball in the last month or so of the season. They beat Duke at Duke. They go through They run through the tournament. I mean, run through it. And they beat Duke. And Coach K loses. He's done. His career's over. Legendary career. Loses, I will say, with some grace. Went over and congratulated the UNC guys. Baycott, big man for UNC, rolled his ankle. Coach K checks on him after the game and says, I hope you're okay. You are my pick to win uh, player of the year. So he, he lost with class. I, I'll give him some respect for that. Uh, but I will say that Duke should have won that game not in the sense of like they played better or the referees or anything just from the basic standpoint of like i mean if you're duke and you just lost to unc at home in your final home game in your head coach your legendary head coach's final home game you lost i mean there's no way you don't come out in that game with such a fire under your ass and Respect to UNC. I'm not saying they didn't deserve to win. They, of course, they won the game. They played really well. Their coaches uh, fired up. But I just, I didn't bet on the game. But if I would have, I would have taken Duke. And I would have taken Duke on the spread because, um, I don't know. I just thought they would be fired up. I thought they would be ready to go. I thought they would say, not like you know, you can't. it's hard to beat a good team twice like Duke. 
But uh, I think they were just a little bit intimidated, maybe. And obviously, it's a much different scene than than playing at a home game type situation where it's um, a neutral site at a f- football stadium in New Orleans where the Saints play. So I could see how they lost the game. I'm just I was surprised by it. I'll be honest with you. I just really thought um, I really thought that Duke was gonna show up and play really well, and they just didn't play great. So end of the day, Duke ends up losing and getting eliminated. Kansas plays UNC in the national championship. And that was a great basketball game for those of you who didn't see it. Great. UNC was an eight seed, by the way. They were obviously seeded wrong, but not in the sense of, you know, they didn't play well for a lot of the year. And they didn't actually finish with a great record. So giving them the eight seed is not, like, the worst job ever by the committee. But having watched them play, clearly their capabilities were much higher than an eight seed. Much, much higher than an eight seed. So they play Kansas, a one seed Kansas team against an eight seed UNC. And UNC shows up to play again, man. They showed up to fucking play. They're moving the ball. They're hitting shots. um, They're not committing a ton of fouls. They're turning the ball over like crazy, putting tons of pressure on Kansas. UNC fans show out at the game. It sounds like it's really loud in favor of of the Tar Heels. They are up by 15 points at half, at half against a team like Kansas. It's unbelievable. How? Everyone's sitting there like, man, these guys are just the team of destiny. That's just what they are. They're the fucking team of destiny. And Kansas came back. I don't know what Coach Bill Self talked to these guys about at half, you know, in the locker room. But they came out with fucking piss and vinegar in their mouth. I mean, they were fired up. They come out. They go on like a 8 or 9-0 run. Obviously, that closes the gap, makes things, makes the game look like it's a lot more manageable for Kansas. And it was manageable. And they went through. They were making a lot of the shots that they were missing in the first half. Vice versa with UNC, missing a lot of the shots that they were making in the in the first half. And it comes down to the end of the game. Kansas is up by three and then five and then down back to two and then up by three. And inevitably it comes down to UNC has the ball with four seconds left. Inbound play, UNC, I I just, I was surprised the way they drew it up, but if it's me, if I'm coaching, which obviously I'm not, I'm sitting on the couch. I don't know anything about anything, but if I did, and if I knew enough about it, or if I was coaching in that situation, I would have drawn up the perfect play to get my three point guy open. And as a backup plan, if it wasn't getting the three point guy open, I would have gotten um, the second best shooting three point shooting guy open. Uh, But in the case of, um, what happened? They inbounded it. Great defensive pressure by Kansas. They throw up a shot. Three-pointer pretty much at the buzzer. Misses pretty bad. And Kansas is the national champions of college basketball. Good for them. You know, I think 
Kansas was kind of a team throughout the tournament, if I'm being honest, that kind of flew under the radar as far as I know they were a one seed, but I think if anybody were to have picked uh, one of the one seeds to win between Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Kansas, I don't know exactly where uh, each team's of those each of those four one seeds were officially finally ranked, right? Because we know that Gonzaga was the top. I think, I think Arizona was two and Baylor was three. I could be completely wrong on that, but nevertheless, I don't think Kansas was at the very top as the winner for a ton of people. Right, because it's like you either got to pick the big dog number one seed that dominates everybody, like Gonzaga, or you got to pick a two seed or a three seed or you know a team that's not a one seed. And I think a lot of people had Kansas winning their first game in the bracket, probably winning the second game, probably even winning the third game, but like losing in the Elite Eight, definitely losing in the Final Four, losing in the national champ. Like, I think it was just a little bit surprising, but I don't think anybody was surprised that Kansas played well. They were a great basketball team. I just think. I don't know. I think, and then once the Kansas beat Villanova, people are like, well, you know, UNC's a tough matchup. And then UNC's, UNC's up by 15 and a half. It's like, well, fucking A. Like, Kansas was, you know, good, but UNC is better. Like, clearly Kansas wasn't a great one seed. And then the role is completely reversed. Kansas outscores UNC by 18 in the second half, wins by three. And they're natty champs. So good for them. Exciting game, right, when you're down – Teams down by 15 and a half. They come all the way back to tie it, take the lead and win. That is super fucking exciting. So I had a really, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, feel bad for UNC because A, they blew the lead. B, I mentioned uh, their big man, Baycott. He's a forward slash center. One of the most dominant big men in college basketball. Yet just rakes down rebounds, scores points in the paint. He, uh, Rolled his ankle against Duke in the Final Four, and it did not look good at all. He ended up finishing the game, but just pretty much through pure toughness and the fact that they're playing Duke in the Final Four. But people were very concerned about his effectiveness in the game against Kansas. And he showed up. He started. He You could, you could sort of tell he had kind of a limp going. But he was still very effective. I think he had double-digit rebounds. I think he had, you know, 10, 15 points. Um, And then, sure as shit, with like four minutes left in the game, Baycott gets a ball, a bounce pass in the paint, and kind of puts on a spin move, turns and plants with the right foot uh, that he had rolled on Saturday, and fucking rolled it again, man. Rolled it again, which is not like unexpected it's like you know honestly it's like if you roll it there's a good likelihood you'll roll it again uh like a shoulder or anything else so baycott rolls it unc's kind of like man what do we do you know and then they have yeah they just it kind of just took the wind out of their sails i think especially towards the end so Congrats to Kansas. They won it. If that was there's any sort of damper on the game, I think that would have probably been the only one. So, um, yeah, good for them. Good for Kansas. They win. They win.
on behalf on, or on the topic of winning, the most win a winningest. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. One of the winningest golfers of all time, Tiger Woods, is playing in the Masters this weekend. The Masters. For those of you who don't know what the Masters is or what it's about, it's a golf tournament, one of the four major tournaments. And when I say major, I don't mean like, oh, it's a major, like it's a big deal. No, like it's uh, in golf, there are four tournaments that are considered to be major tournaments. And when it's major, it just means it holds a little bit more weight. It's a bigger deal. I believe they are... Uh, U.S. Open, the Masters. Let me see. U.S. Open, the Masters, the Open Championship, and the PGA Championship. So those are the four major golf championships. And one of them is this weekend, the Masters. Tiger Woods, guy fucking crashed his car like, a year ago broke his fucking like both his legs like threatened there's there's a positive you're hearing reports about the car crash that there's a chance that he has to get one of his fucking legs amputated holy shit this guy's done forever i don't know it's crazy that he's in some some people would consider it crazy that he's even fucking walking again let alone a year later preparing to play in the masters and he's a previous champion I think he's won it like five times or something ridiculous. And he just showed up this week and put the put the shoes on. Said, you know, I think I've been prepared enough to play. Goes through a practice round on Monday. Apparently it looks unbelievable. Just throwing darts, striking the ball really clean. And he's going to play, which is just very, it's crazy. I don't think he's going to win, but I think it's a great, it's just such great television to for everybody watching the masters it's gonna be like holy shit tiger woods is fucking playing it's not that crazy considering like his age or anything i think he's you know i think he's either late 30s early 40s there's plenty of guys once you win the masters you are uh officially invited back for the rest of your i think your life to play every single year um so you got guys like fred couples and these other guys that are like in their 50s and almost 60s that are playing in the tournament and again they never they never end up competing uh you know towards the top but they always go out and play around play two rounds friday saturday or uh, thursday friday so tiger's gonna be teeing up tomorrow or as we record this on wednesday he's teeing up tomorrow uh the masters is it's just such a fun tournament to watch man and it's so i think it's the hype for the masters is is so much bigger because uh, there's a lot of like rules at the Augusta National Golf Club in Georgia where they hold this tournament. You're like not allowed to bring your cell phone into uh, the grounds. You're not allowed to like, I don't know, like I think there's like a bunch of other rules I can't remember, but it's just very exclusive. And the cost of a ticket is super expensive. I think it's like thousands of dollars per person, you know, 1200 bucks, 1500 two grand for a pass to get in but then the funny thing is that the <laughs> i saw a picture of the augusta national menu board and 
they haven't changed their prices in like 50 years. Like they're offering, let me see. I got to make sure that I uh, don't butcher this here because it's funny. Let me see. Darren Ravel posted it on Instagram. All right. So here's the, here's the picture I saw of the menu prices at the masters. If you want an egg salad sandwich, dollar fifty. Barbecue sandwich, three bucks. Chicken classic, three bucks. You get there early enough for breakfast before 10 a.m., you can get a coffee for two bucks, a breakfast sandwich for three bucks, and a and a cup of mixed fruit for two bucks. And then two bucks for soft drinks, two bucks for water, five bucks for a beer, six bucks for wine. Towards the bottom here, five a dollar fifty for peanuts. $1.50 for cookies, $1.50 for popcorn. I mean, I don't know what the impetus is. I don't know what the reasoning is for them keeping the prices so low. But it's great, especially when you're charging that much for uh, admission. Right? $1,200, $1,500 for a ticket to get in. Fucking A, you better keep the t- the... The food price is low. And if I was if I was going, I mean, it's a bucket list item for me to eventually go one day to uh, the Masters in Augusta. If I go, it's like I'm not going to – I don't know the rules for bringing food in or not. Maybe you're not allowed to bring in food, you know, so maybe that's another reason too to not bring food. But my main reason for not bringing food is like, dude, I'm just going to buy food there. I already spent 1200 bucks on a ticket. What's an extra 10 bucks to fucking fill my ass up? Like, geez, man, good for them. I've also heard uh, the other thing about the, oh, the other thing that's like exclusive about the Masters tournament. Can't bring your cell phone in and you can't buy mass official merchandise, like Masters apparel, uh, like anywhere online, anywhere in the public. The only place you can buy Masters gear is at Augusta National during the Masters tournament in the shop, you know, the merchandise shop that they have. That's the only place. You can buy knockoff stuff, I'm sure, somewhere online, but the only place you can buy officially licensed Masters merchandise is at the store on the course. So, you know, it's exclusive, um, but at the same time, it's, it's great. It's great to watch. I'm super excited for it. Um, I don't know if I have any picks for you guys, you know, or any value or anything uh, that you guys wouldn't know already. Obviously, I hope Tiger does well. I hope he competes. I hope he makes the cut. I doubt he will. Because before his car accident last year, he was still in the tournaments he was participating in. He was struggling to make the cut. So, I don't know. It'd be It's going to be fun to watch. Either way, the Masters is always fun. Um, starts, uh, tomorrow, Thursday and, uh, it's a big day in sports because not only the masters obviously starting, but it's only four day tournament, but major league baseball is starting. It's underway. Finally, we are finally, finally, finally getting some baseball after the long, off season 
after lockout, after the negotiation process, after the crazy free agency, everything that's gone on and baseball is finally back. Finally. Few storylines maybe to look after. Um, oh, I don't know about any in particular. You know, guys that we hope to see back and contributing and participating. Ronald Acuna Jr. is coming back off of a ACL injury at some point in the season. I don't think he's uh, 100% for opening day. Same team, Mike Soroka, young pitcher who has Cy Young capabilities, is going to be back at some point this season. Um, You know, Mike Trout missed a ton of time last year, but everybody kind of knows who he is as a player, which is a monster. Can Shohei Otani repeat what he did last year, or will people pitch him a little bit tougher? Will he be able to contribute as a pitcher as much? Um, there's a lot of storylines that are pretty interesting to see, interesting to follow, interesting to look forward to. But the bottom line is baseball is back. The negative side for baseball right now is that they on, on you know mentioning Ronald Acuña superstar player the negative for baseball is that they are going to be without a handful of their top level superstar marketable players at the start of the season Jacob deGrom Mets superstar pitcher announced they announced that he's got some uh shoulder scap stress reaction going on uh Max Scherzer recently signed to the Mets expected to compensate for the fact that if DeGrom is hurt you know Scherzer could be fine Scherzer's got some lingering stuff going on uh Chris Sale when he's healthy for the Boston Red Sox this guy is dominant and um uh, he has been announced that he's going to be out for a while. He's got a stress fracture in his rib cage. So three pitchers, Fernando Tatis Jr. has a broken hand, a broken wrist. He's going to be out for three months. So you're without DeGrom, Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna, it's just like, man, what is going on? And you keep asking yourself, on the topic of on the topic of Jacob deGrom, you ask yourself, so this is a this is a concept here. Just bear with me on this. This is a concept that I kind of came to a conclusion with after this deGrom injury was announced. Okay. And I think it speaks very true to why we tend to see that type of stuff happening. People always wonder why the top athletes in their respective sports, people always wonder why the top athletes in their respective sports seemingly 
get injured more frequently than maybe some of the middle tier or below average guys, right? Go through the sports. In baseball, Chris, in baseball, well, yeah, we'll start with baseball. In baseball, you have Fernando Tatis Jr. Guy's been hurt a lot due to on-the-field stuff. He's out right now because of something he did off the field, but he's been hurt from on-the-field stuff. Uh, Jacob deGrom, Chris Sale, all those guys, top performers at their game when they're healthy. In football, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, they're kind of coming back from injuries, but both of those guys have dealt with a serious number of injuries. Barkley had the ACL. I think McCaffrey had an ACL or something like that. McCaffrey's been McCaffrey's played like four games a year for the last three seasons. In basketball, those guys are freak athletes, and a lot of people jump on jump on it because it's like, man, it looks like they're not even trying. Well, usually the guys that aren't maybe the biggest, but are putting up big man, you know, or significant numbers. They get hurt. Derrick Rose was at the top of his game. Potentially, people were talking about Derrick Rose winning four four MVPs in a row. Boom, ACL, never the same. Bo Jackson, arguably the best athlete ever. Arguably. Pro Bowl running back, all-star baseball player, is just running down the sideline, puts his foot in the ground, and his hip dislocates? What? Has to get reconstructive surgery? He's never the same? Why is this happening, right? Why? Why are all these guys getting hurt so much? My theory is that these guys that are so elite, so powerful, so strong and flexible are also the same guys that because of all those things are pushing because those guys are so because those guys are such great athletes they're consistently pushing the boundary and pushing the limits of human capability they are right on the edge of being able to achieve things that a human being simply cannot do running a certain running 22 miles an hour with pads on putting your foot in the ground, making a cut their muscles can handle it mentality wise. They're prepared for it, but their ligaments are like, dude, it can't, it's not happening. Can't do it. Right. Jacob deGrom guy gets on the mound, throws 103 mile an hour fastball 55 times, 60 times. And then that's, he can do it for maybe a game, maybe two games. But then that third game, he starts throwing, ah, oh, my forearm tightened up. Okay, rehab, get healthy. Does it again, couple games, ah, oh, my shoulder tightening up. Okay, rehab, get healthy, ah, oh, my elbow tightening up. It's just repeated process, and people are like, oh, he's injury prone, he can't stay healthy. No, that's not it. It's because his fucking body is like, dude, enough. My God. What are you doing to us? Your muscles and ligaments and bones and tendons. Dude, there's a reason why people don't throw this hard, Jacob deGrom. Because it's ridiculous. It's insane. Bo Jackson, 
bro. Okay, we get it. You're running down the sideline at 24 miles an hour with shoulder pads on. Puts his foot in the ground. Oh, let's make this cut. Boop. Hip. Pop. Goes like this. This is what it sounds like. Pops right out of the socket. Because his muscles and his body, his muscles and his body are like, dude, too much. Too much force, dude. Can't handle it. So for people who are saying maybe these guys are injury prone or, you know, this and that, it's like Bo Jackson, people, everyone agrees his career was kind of cut short with football. And people don't, you know, oh, yeah, he got injured. But why? How? He was just running. How did? How come D. Rose was never the same again? How come Christian McCaffrey can't seem to stay healthy? Jacob DeGrom can't seem to stay healthy? Because these dudes are pushing the fucking boundaries of human capability consistently and repeatedly. And because of that, they're going to get hurt. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to get hurt a lot more than a guy who doesn't lay out for every ball run down the line as hard as he could and tried to throw everybody out. Just is what it is. And he does try to throw every, a lot of other guys try to throw everybody out or they run hard, but their bodies aren't freak bodies. Like they're probably 5'10", 190, 5'10", 175. And they run average speed. They have average arms and they do these things and people are like, and, and their body is like, okay. I mean, that's within chemo capability, but when you're six foot four, 210 pounds, and you have the third fastest uh, sprint speed in baseball and you have the second best arm and you hit the third most home runs and your body's like, dude, Enough. Swing and miss. Shoulder dislocate, brother. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry about it. So, it's it's definitely disappointing. It's definitely, you know, it obviously sucks that, like, DeGrom's not going to be available. Tatis won't. Chris Sale won't. Sucks that Christian McCaffrey gets hurt a lot. It sucked so bad when Saquon tore his ACL. He rose. Bo Jackson. But at the end of the day, just keep that stuff in mind. Be like, you know what, man? Fuck. If they can stay healthy and play, they'll be unbelievable. But can't get mad at them for not or get frustrated and be like, I mean, you can get frustrated, but don't, I don't know. Just don't tag guys as injury prone when they're like the best players ever. Cause it's just, some guys are, I think some guys are definitely just injury prone, but I think other guys are just such incredible athletes that it's not their fault. It's just the nature of being a freak athlete. So that is what it is. Um, that's pretty much going to do it for sports-related talk today. But we did want to leave you with a would you rather, as we always do. So on the topic of the Masters and golf, with golf season sort of ramping up, would you rather make a hole-in-one on the 16th hole at the Masters Or would you rather make a hole in one at the 16th hole at the Waste Management Open? Two different types of two different types of holes in ones right there. 
You get a hole in one at the 16th at the Masters. It's legendary status. It's a different type of crowd. People are going to go crazy for you, but it's more of a prestigious honor. As opposed to a hole in one at 16th at the Waste Management. It can happen to anybody. It has happened to anybody. But if you hammer that hole in one, my God, is it going to be a shit show in that stadium? Wow. Would that be fun? I don't really know which one I would choose. I think I would go waste management because I'm just not, I just know that if it was at the masters, it's not like that's going to be the shot or the, the hole out that's going to like win me that tournament. I don't think I'd ever win the masters or the waste management, but you make a 16th, a hole in one at the 16th of the Masters. It's like, oh, cool. Like, nice, man. Fucking sweet. Good job. Nice shot. Whereas at the Waste Management, it's like, holy shit. Throw your beers. Everyone fucking jump up and down and punch each other. Like, that's funny, dude. That that shit's funny. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. I think I would take the 16th of the Waste Management, but, um, you know, let me know what you guys think. And otherwise, thanks for tuning in, guys. Kept you around for about 40 minutes here. Appreciate you guys tuning in if you have made it this far. Be sure to check us out on social media. Be sure to check us out on the old TikTok. We just started a Patreon. So if you guys want to go on and, you know, subscribe, uh, monthly there's the three different tiers and they kind of give you access to, to different um, contributions to us. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, the link is on our website. Um, phenomenalfan.com. It's got the link to obviously all of our socials as well, but got the link to our Patreon. So if you check that out, you can subscribe to our, you know, get exclusive content, get discounts on our merchandise. You can get, um, you know, exclusive access to being able to talk about and vote on or suggest topics that we talk about on this show. So if you guys are interested, go check it out. And otherwise, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you guys on episode number 21. Peace out. <laughs>